It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 519th episode of the Hollywood Reporters Awards Chatter Podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of the greatest character actors of all time. He's an Oscar nominee and winner of Emmy Spirit and Critics' Choice Awards, two Golden Globe Awards, and three SAG Awards, with credits to his name including 2003's American Splendor, 2004's Sideways, 2005's Cinderella Man, 2006's The Illusionist, the 2008 limited series John Adams, 2012's Win-Win, 2013's 12 Years a Slave, the drama series Billions, which ran from 2016 through earlier this year, and this year's The Holdovers, which reunites him with his sideways director, Alexander Payne, in which he plays a cranky boarding school teacher who is made even crankier by having to spend the 1970 Christmas break on campus with an aggrieved student, and for which he has already won the Best Actor National Board of Review Award and received Best Actor Golden Globe and Critics' Choice Award nominations and could well receive a long-overdue first Best Actor Oscar nomination. Paul Giamatti. Giamatti has been described by the New York Times as the kind of actor whom directors rely on, if not to open a movie, then to bring it home, always pleasant to spend time with, and, in an age of stars and would-be stars, a true character actor who can play drama, comedy, or romance. The Guardian has called him one of the most interesting figures in American cinema. Strand Magazine noted that he possesses such striking presence and versatility that he elevates each character he inhabits into something completely unique and unforgettable, propelling some productions to timeless classics along the way. And Alexander Payne has said, I can't really begin to tell you how good an actor he is. He is a huge star who is so watchable, charming, and charismatic. He's a bit of a freak. Over the course of a conversation at the LA offices of The Hollywood Reporter, the 56-year-old and I discussed why the sudden death of his father motivated him to pursue a career as an actor, the challenges of playing smaller roles versus leads, the former of which he did for years before first getting a chance to do the latter on American Splendor and Sideways, his thoughts on making films versus TV movies versus limited series versus ongoing TV series, all of which he has experience doing, what it was like reuniting with Payne 19 years after their first collaboration, plus much more. And so without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Paul, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Great to have you. My pleasure. Thank you. So 
here would just begin truly at the beginning. Can you share with our listeners where you were born and raised and what your folks did for a living? <laughs> I was born and raised in New Haven, Connecticut. Me too. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think I knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, where? Do you uh, actually, I Woodbridge. So oh, okay. Just, yeah, just oh, outside. Oh, Woodbridge is nice. Yeah, yeah. Woodbridge is really yeah, nice. Yeah. I was born and raised in Westville. Oh, sure. Yeah, out near Westville the Kosher Bowl. Bakery. And yeah, all that. sure, exactly. <laughs> nice. Wow. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. know. Of I don't course. have to explain no, New no, Haven no. to you. <laughs> it's a very particular place. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And my, my dad was a professor. Yes. And my mom was a high school, a private high school English teacher. Absolutely. And actually, uh, your dad was the first Giamatti who I knew of because <laughs> so my mom came from South Africa and taught at Yale okay. when he was running really? the place. And I am a baseball fan, so I knew about your dad from. What did your mom teach? She taught Afrikaans. Which is a weird Amazing. thing to teach there. Were there but, a yeah. lot of people taking Afrikaans? I, I, I have to double check on the numbers. Man, if but... I'd known, I would have taken that. Yeah. That's exactly the kind of thing I would have done when I was there. Wow, that's amazing. Well, uh, you you know, your parents both sound very interesting. Your mother, I guess, had been an actress a little bit herself? She had, had aspirations to being an actress, okay. yes. Yeah. And so for you... How early on did it enter the picture, even just as like a fun thing? Right, right off the bat, yeah. as long as I can remember, it was a thing that it was a fun thing that we all. It was an artsy yeah. environment, you yeah. know. So, and my brother and sister were performers in different ways too. I mean, my brother's an actor, my sister was a ballet dancer and stuff. So, performing and playing around and play acting was always a thing we did. Got it. So, uh, I know you went off to Choate, which is relevant only maybe partly because I imagine it was almost like a model for what we see in the holdovers, right? Absolutely a model for it. No, I went to a place pretty much like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. and and only about 10 years after the movie takes place, so right. a lot of those guys were still there. And then Yale, while your dad was... No, he was gone, gone when I went there. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, so, but when you were an undergrad, mm -hmm. so he when you he was... Already he, in Major League Baseball? No, no, he just was, he had left Yale. Okay. And I think he still sort of maybe went in to teach every now and Got then it. and did stuff, Got but he it. was no longer the president there. And But he kind of took some time off. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And, and then, um, then went into baseball eventually. Now, when you were at Yale, you know, did you, was acting uh, a part of your time there would be as an undergrad obviously you'd come back for the drama school but but as an undergraduate yeah there was a lot of extracurricular theater yeah. um i think a theater major had just started when i got there but i was not a theater major mm -hmm. but i did a lot of extracurricular theater yeah true or false uh, were you skull and bones i'm not you're not a, i no, was you're not, not. Okay. no it's, it's really fun no, nobody's <laughs> asked me that in a long time uh, somebody asked me that a while ago and i was like wow what and the great thing is i was like because if you if you deny it, no. I was going to say you, you. No, can't that's say the thing it. If you're <laughs> supposed to say so, so there's no way for me to ever really effectively tell people right. I was not. But I do kind of enjoy it because you know it's a certain mystique. Yeah, I'm right. Like, oh, that's kind of cool. All yeah, right, good. I, I sure. can't tell you about my past. I may have done some things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, you graduate undergrad in '89, mm -hmm. and I know that it was uh, really just a, a short few months later that you had this terrible loss of your mm -hmm. dad very suddenly he's only 50 you have said numerous times in in prepping for this i came across it that it was because of him that you became an actor what did you mean by that well i think i i think i meant because of his dying i became an actor yeah his death was so destabilizing i think 
for for my family because he was a very grounded, solid guy. Uh-huh. And so it was super destabilizing, and I think it put me in a place of feeling like I should do the thing I really love to do because you can disappear at 50 years old after this life of like crazy accomplishment yeah. and it just goes like that so I was like I, 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 I should probably pursue this thing that I actually really love to do and that entailed why Seattle it sounds like you pretty quickly I, went I did Seattle. well it was as far in the continental United States as I could get from New Haven <laughs> not that it's you not know. that bad listen listen I was just about to say as you know it's not that bad but I'd been there a long time that's all right. I'd just been there a long Right, right. And I had a girlfriend who was from out in Washington State. She wasn't from Seattle, but she was from the peninsula. And um, I had friends who worked at a little theater out there. So I went out there with still some designs to maybe do other things and see what happened with acting and just sort of continue to do it. And so it just seemed like a good place. And at that time, Seattle was a very, like, happening place. Yeah. yeah. And so I see your, you know— um, I guess it was particularly the Annex Theater out there. This yeah, is, which is still there. Still there. Yep. And so you're part of it from 89 to 92. Mm-hmm. What made you decide to go back to Yale? So New Haven wasn't, wasn't that <laughs> New bad. New Haven wasn't totally um, But for I, Yale School of Drama. I think, um, well, I didn't get in to NYU, so, <laughs> okay. I, so, so <laughs> I got into Yale. But I think I, you know, I suddenly was able to make something of a very minimal living after a little while. So I thought, okay, man, this is what I'll do. And maybe I ought to go back and learn more about it because I don't really know what I'm doing. And I figured I was going to have a career in theater. Okay. So I might as well train to be in theater because that's right. what I figured I was going to do. I didn't yeah. think I was going to do TV and movies. Yeah. And so – um, and I also was like, this is the best school. Well, and as I said, I didn't get in NYU. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I, um, I thought this is, this is the best place. So, Who were some of the folks who were there with you at the time who people might know today? Um, well, ahead of me, Liev Schreiber was ahead of mm-hmm. me. Um, gosh, who else? Well, Lance Reddick was in my class. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was yeah, a great guy. Just yeah, lost he was out. a good friend of mine. And so he was in my class, and gosh, who else? I don't know if these were your years, you but tell I heard me, yeah. Edward Norton? Well, Edward Norton was when I was an undergrad. Oh, that was when you That were was undergraduate, and Ron Livingston was when I was Ron. an undergraduate. Ron was in my class, and Ed's probably uh, Ed, Edward, sorry, I called yeah. him Ed then. <laughs> Two or three years younger than me, what but about, they were undergraduate. How about Tom McCarthy? McCarthy, yes. McCarthy was, a, yes, thank you, was the class behind me. Okay. And he was an actor. Yeah, he's a great actor. He's a really good actor. And so, um, yeah, McCarthy, yeah. So when we – you were recently good enough to do our actor roundtable, and you said that you had found drama school. The word you used was confining. Confining. That's interesting. I'm actually glad to clarify someone I said there. Please, uh, tell me. It was – I mean, confining in a good way. I think I needed the discipline and things like that. And uh, and the Shakespeare training was was it was it was heavy, and it was good. But it was but it, yeah, conf- it, in a good way. It was disciplining, and that was good. But then once I got out, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be so disciplined right. anymore. And so I think, as I was saying to you, I found things that felt very freeing. Not eventually uh, Shakespearean or whatever. not yeah. well. And, and Shakespeare's great, yeah. and Shakespeare's very freeing. Yeah. But it just the training felt really confining, and I, I didn't end up really doing much Shakespeare anyway, hardly ever. But so I needed to. I found some things that were very freeing eventually, and that was good. Well, I want to mention a few of those, but it seems like even while you were at the MFA program, I guess, looks like your first credits were uh, on TV in 1990, in films 1991— 
Yeah, uh, that's in Seattle. Oh, that was even that while was you were in Seattle. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That was all. I I, I through bizarre luck ended up getting a, a an agent. There were two agents in Seattle, <laughs> and there was a big pool of actors. And this woman came and saw me in a play and came up with me afterwards and said, "Do you want an agent?" And I didn't even know from an agent. Right. And I was like, "Yeah, okay." So she sent me on things, and I got a lot of these bit part things. Like now, was that would that be something like? Uh, the movie Singles for Cameron Crowe? Yeah, sure. Okay. I had said one word in that movie. <laughs> but every actor in Seattle's in that movie. Fighting if for, I go yeah. see that now, it's filled with all these friends of mine who were actors at the time, Amazing. having little, one line or two lines. And as you've noted, a lot of your earliest work was on TV, and you've said, you know, like playing the third cop or whatever it might mm -hmm. be. And, and, mm -hmm. in, and in a few cases, the actual credits I thought were funny— uh, 1994 episode of NYPD Blue, mm -hmm. credited as Man in Sleeping Bag. Uh, 1998 episode of Homicide Life on the Streets. Oh, um, wow. You know, which yeah. is, uh, I don't know, would that have been Andre? It was Rowling? Andre. Wow. He was in the scene that yeah, I did. That I did a movie with him, too, a wow. little bit later. He was amazing. He was amazing. But, yes, I played a guy who had a pit bull that killed his own <laughs> grandfather or something like that. I can't remember, yeah. Well, so uh, then in terms of, the earliest film work, uh, we've got a, a couple early ones with Woody Allen. I wonder, that must have been a pretty It was interesting, deal, right? yeah. I did um, Mighty Aphrodite, mm -hmm. and I had one very brief scene with him where I think I just had like two lines. And I played a guy, I can't even remember what it was I did. I played a researcher at a newspaper. And then I was in Deconstructing Harry, mm -hmm. in which Philip Bosco, yeah, the great, great Philip actor. Bosco, yeah. and I had a lot to do together. And he said to me, I've been in 13 of Woody Allen's films, and he always cuts me out. And we got cut out, in fact. <laughs> we had all this stuff to do, and we got cut out. God. Yeah. Well, the, the, weirdly, the big break, in a sense, I guess we could say, and again, this was something Sarda got into a little yeah, bit at the round yeah. table, and I, I hope you know I was not being dismissive no, of it. No, I, uh, I knew you. No, and, yeah, I didn't, and I didn't mean to be, but it, but I was like, no, it really, it was a significant thing to me. And this no, is, I didn't feel you were being significant. Okay, good, no, good. I didn't. This is Private Parts. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. Actually. Well, I mean, so the guy, Kenny, a.k.a. Pig Vomit, mm -hmm. Howard Stern's sort of explosive boss at WNBC in mm -hmm. New York, mm -hmm. uh, You've said, quote, I couldn't believe I was being allowed off the chain like that, close yeah. quote. Meaning that you could sort of— There was of... no cap on what, what I was doing in that yeah. thing. Yeah. And that was great because, I mean, I think for me, acting on stage was always preferable because there's all that space around you that right. you can fill. And film, you know, it's—you know, it can you can do that, but not all the time, you know? And so I was given—and and up until then, I'd not really had anything— where you could really just explode like that and expand and be that re over the top. And, ha and Howard Stern has said, and, and so has Ivan Reitman who directed it, that you were, um, you know, really, I guess, even more instrumental than the character in the sense that Howard had never acted, right? So yeah, you, you were, yeah. he was getting a lot out of working with you. Betty Thomas directed it. I want yes. to make sure that I say Ivan Reitman produced it. Yes, sorry. She yes. Was, no, she was great. Um no, he. But he was great. I mean, you know, he 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 knows how to play himself to a certain extent. Although he wasn't doing the Howard persona, right, right. he was kind of being more himself. He was fantastic, yeah. and he was game for anything. So it was great. So, what I think you may have been alluding to, in the sense that even in in films, usually in in those early years, you know, you don't have that much space to play. But let's, you know, you've said. 
having this is after having played leads and sizable supporting parts in films you said quote the hardest thing i think is to come in and do one scene close mm-hmm. quote which here's some of these early roles that probably came out of uh private parts i would imagine mm-hmm. or some some way like that but we've got my best friend's wedding mm-hmm. in 97 we've got donnie brasco 97 mm-hmm. Saving Private Ryan, you're one of the, terif- the terrified GI, this is 98. Mm-hmm. Control room director in The Truman Show, 98. Mm-hmm. Andy Kaufman's manager for Milos Forman in Man on the Moon, 99. Um, can you just talk about a little bit more, I think it's so interesting that why it would be such a challenge to come in with a, just a short I, I, it's a, it's an, I mean, I, I really do firmly believe it. Yeah. And it's what gives me real, like, empathy for people having to come in and do it because I did it a lot. Yeah. I mean, Man in Sleeping Bag was not that easy. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding. Right. You know, in Man in Sleeping Bag, I think I had one or two lines. But, yeah. you know, it's it's hard. First of all, you sit around all day. Second of all, you're completely your utility person. They're bringing you in. They, you, you don't have the time. They don't care. Right. You got to get in. You got to nail it. I mean, there's a guy I did a, a scene with in Billion who played a bartender and he not only had to feed me a few like expositional lines he had to remember every drink he was serving to all the other extras and everything and it was I just sat there the whole day saying to this guy this is amazing what you're doing because it's like it's hard and to not you don't have anything to build on. Yeah. You have to just come in and just fire it out of a can. And sometimes you have to come in and cry yeah. or something or freak out or whatever or deliver just baffling exposition to a doctor right. or something. You know, the, you're, the, you're, the radiate, you're the x-ray technician or right. you know, the FBI guy who's got – you know, it's just – you, you, nobody, nobody cares right. either. They right. just want you to come in and do it and not screw it up. Is that demoralizing when you've gone to Yale School of Drama and all this stuff, and you're you're being asked to not really use the skills that you have? No, because I really it was work, and it yeah. was good work, and I was working, and that's all I really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So. I, am, I keep referring to him, but Man in Sleeping Bag yeah. was great. Yeah. I had a job. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, it was a good job. Dennis Franz was awesome. Yeah. You know, it was like, it was great. It was weird. It was fun. You right. know what I mean? So it was a good job. It really was. So I've un- I understand that, uh, again, from our prior uh, recent conversation, Planet of the Apes is also not one Huge. that we should uh, <laughs> Don't undersell. Don't disparage. Don't disparage. This it. is Tim Burton remaking it in uh, 2001. And for you, you uh, damn well better play an ape if you're going to. Damn well be- better play an ape because it's like, please, I'm childhood dream. Really? I mean, and the I was in love with the Planet of the Apes movies, and that kind of thing. I enjoy weird stuff like that. Yeah. I enjoy weirdness and playing a monkey. And, yeah, you know, it's great. And so, and, and, and wearing should, that makeup, it and, was amazing. And you did like movement study of how right? it was great. Yeah, I yeah. loved doing it. Yeah. It was so much fun. So that was I, that. And again, that was. You don't get to do that very much. No. I've never done anything like it again, and it was so weird. And that was great. My understanding is that within your family, there was a, a funny story that that was told for years about you and Al Pacino. Uh-huh. What was what was that? Where that you were gonna, you know, I guess you had a dream or something about Al Pacino. <laughs> wow, this is really funny. <laughs> yeah, I had a dream that I. Oh my God, what was it? I was, I was. I'd gotten him a sandwich in my dream, and I handed him a sandwich, and he said, hey, you're doing a great job. And I told my sister this, which she thought was hilarious. So she used to say, and then I worked with him. Well, that's what I want to get yeah. to, because right before your real 
kind of breakthrough period, I think yeah. we could call it, where so American Splendor 2003, Sideways 2004, but right before that, this is 2002, yeah. 2003, yeah. I think it's overlooked often and when people are telling your your uh, story yeah you worked with Al Pacino yeah I did a lot of theater and yeah. this was a play I did with Al Pacino and he it, what's weird to finish that thing <laughs> is that I was working with him and then at some point I was sitting there and we were sitting there getting notes and sitting in the house of the theater and I said god I'm so hungry to the guy next to me he was sitting in front of me Al and he turned around and said you want my sandwich <laughs> and he handed me a sandwich and I was like what the this fuck is, is going on <laughs> I was like this is so bizarre Al Pacino's Given me the Full sandwich. circle moment, so right? bizarre though. This isn't how it's supposed to go. But yeah, I did a play with with. I mean, there were a million amazing people in that besides yeah. him. I mean, it was a crazy production, but it was fantastic to do. I drove him crazy because I whistle a lot. Oh really? And it's a big superstition. He's very superstitious. Really? So he used to yell at me to stop <laughs> whistling, and you have Al Pacino be like, "Oh, stop whistling!" <laughs> like that was really kind of hilarious. Well, so I mentioned right after that is is American Splendor, and mm -hmm. we'll just. Uh, remind folks, you're playing Harvey Picard, uh, mm -hmm. the writer of Underground Comics. This is Robert Puccini and Sherry Springer Berman. Yeah. Um, this was your first time, I think, playing the lead in a film, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did you first hear about it, and uh, and did you meet? I mean, what was your reaction to the script? It's a long, complicated story. I just got the script as per usual from my agents, sent it to me. But there was not clearly any hope in hell I was going to get this thing. It was an HBO movie. It was actually made for HBO. And eventually when they finished it, they put it in theaters. But it was not something that was probably going to go my way. And nobody was auditioning for it. And they were going to much. They were going to real namey guys. And, um, I mean, bizarrely what happened was 9-11 happened. And so all of these guys, some months later, they decided they were going to do it, but none of these guys wanted to work, and I was the one <laughs> guy who went, okay, I'll do it, because I really wanted to play the part. So, And the reason you really wanted to play the part, I mean, aside from, I, I, I'll leave it to you if there's stuff about the script or whatever, but you had actually wanted to be an animator, right? I did want to be an animator, so the whole thing was interesting to me, yeah, and that world was interesting to me, and Robert Crumb was a kind of hero of mine, art, artistically and stuff, but the script was great, and I knew that he was a very interesting character, and Bob and Sherry were, seemed like they were going to be great, so, but it was, a, it was a thing that almost didn't happen, I mean... It's amazing it ever got finished and done and out into the world. And got nom they got nominated for an Academy Award right. for the screenplay. Totally. Yeah. And, I mean, they had come from the world of docs, right? Mm -hmm. So they were doing, I should say documentaries, so they're doing things in this movie, um, which is now 20 years ago. It's hard to believe. But, like, uh, archival footage, yeah. animation, cameos by the real Harvey Yeah, Park. no, it was, a, it was a little bit ahead of its time. It was slightly ahead of its time and Pretty playing around with all this reality yeah. stuff. Now, uh there was this tremendous reaction to your performance. And in fact, Robert and Sherry were the way I, you know, looking back at the time, how they're describing it, um, they were saying they wanted this to be your Marty, which was, <laughs> I guess, just for people who following at home, uh, you know, Ernest Borgnine, another one of the great, great yeah, character actors, great actor. had finally been given a shot at a lead in the movie Marty and won Best Actor. That's right. Um, it's a great movie. It's such a great movie. Yeah, he's great in that movie. And, I guess, you know, while, while you know, forget, forgetting about awards, mm. this did have a, uh, 
a noticeable impact on your career, right? Seemed to, yeah. Was I it mean, just people in the moment being more interested, or did a lot of other opportunities specifically come out of that, do you think? Well, um, yeah. I mean, I, I, to some extent, I think Sideways came out of it. I mean, I don't know. It's never been clear to me why Alexander. I think it was just he was seeing anybody. You know what I mean? But but certainly I don't know that anybody would have sent me in there to – but I didn't know it was, it was for a lead when I auditioned for it. For Four that. Sideways. Yeah, I had no idea what I was – I just had one scene to look at. So Seriously? I never read the script or anything. So, so I just went in to, to meet with him oh and audition for him. You know? and but probably I don't think I would have gotten in there. Yeah, yeah just raise your profile. Part. Yeah. Well, let's – you know, coming to Sideways, again, just, just to remind folks, Miles – Divorced high school English teacher, <laughs> frustrated wannabe author, Merlot-hating wine lover, mm-hmm. um, wine snob, we could say, goes on this road trip with his best friend who's about to get married, and uh, and they kind of learn a lot about each other and themselves. And I guess, though, so was Al- you didn't know Alexander at all before that? You hadn't no. crossed paths? No, no. No. I'd loved his movies. Yeah. Though. Yeah. I thought Election was fantastic. Yeah. I loved his movies. Yeah. So this script is by Alexander and Jim Taylor mm-hmm. from Rex Pickett's novel. You said once, quote, when I read the script, I thought, this is great, but who the fuck cares about wine? <laughs> I did wonder. Yeah. I was like, is anybody going to care about a movie about wine? Basically. I mean, it was wonderful. And I mean, right. I thought it was a great script, but I was like, I can't imagine anybody's going to really care much about this. Well, before you even saw the full script, though, so let's go back. You yes. Go, no, you... I didn't see the script until I'd gotten Alexander then offered it to me. And I got the I got I must have gotten the script right around right before he then made an offer to me. I guess I don't remember the chronology of it, but I had not seen the script for a while. When you first went in there, you're saying you had an advance, like essentially a side. Just one side. I never saw the script or anything. And what was scene. how did that? What do you remember about that meeting? Because 20 years later... It, I remember it, just being excited I was getting to meet him, and yeah. I had no expectation that anything would ever come of it. I just was like, well, this is cool. I get to meet him, and I sat and read the scene, and he's very... You, I don't know if you've ever yeah, met yeah. him. He's very sort of polite. Right. He was like, that was wonderful. <laughs> would you would you, would you you read another? Uh, and he handed me a monologue. I don't remember what yeah. one. He said, do you need some time to look at it? I said, no, I can just... I looked at it, and then yeah. I read it, and he said, well, thank you very much. <laughs> I said, thank you. And I left. And it was a while before I heard about it. And there before months, you realized that this is the lead? I had no idea it was the lead. Then my agent called me like maybe a month or two later and said that he's going to offer you this part. And I said, I, what is the part? She said, it's one of the leads. And I was like, you're fucking kidding yeah. me. I don't know that I actually read the script until after. I don't I don't feel like I read it until then. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, because this, as I know is the case for... So many people. For me, I think this is my. I don't think I've ever seen a movie more times in a theater than that really? movie. I That's love awesome. that movie. That's great. Man. And I'm so uh, happy to it's hear just it. so beautiful. And and to get to you know we're gonna go from here and do a thing with yeah. you and Alexander. This is like the it's, more pinch me than you know you <laughs> can imagine. Awesome. But it's really funny. Um, but okay, so the your road trip partner in this movie is Thomas mm-hmm. Hayden Church. But mm-hmm. my understanding from Alexander is that that could have been had he wanted it to be. George Clooney or Brad Pitt or yeah, I think that's who people wanted to have play both those parts were guys like that. That was to play your part as well. No, I think I think it was maybe Edward Norton and Clooney or somebody oh like that. Gosh. I think it was some sort of I don't know, but it was not me and Tom. <laughs> 
You mean and that I wasn't the obvious? I remember when I met Alexander and he offered me the party, he said, and what do you think of this Thomas Hayden Church fellow? Right. I was like, the guy from Wayne's? I was like, yeah, he's hilarious. And, right. and, he, and I just thought he was crazy that yeah. he was going to ask me and Tom to do this. So I was like, sure thing, man, if you really wanted us to do it. But I didn't think it would ever happen. I really didn't. So Thomas Hayden Church, as you say, had been on Wings, but it had been a little right, while. Right. Yeah. You know, so yeah. he wasn't and neither, by the way, was Virginia Madsen or Sandra no. Oh, right? So this no. he just kind of has in he his mind who he wants to do it. With a bunch of people that, yeah, who, who I'm sure I'm sure people weren't thrilled to put their money <laughs> the into it. <laughs> I think he said, I forget if it was Paramount or somebody basically declined to make the movie oh, and yeah, lost so. out on a lot I of I think it took money. a little while, which well, is why I didn't hear about it, I think, for a while, because I think he was trying to convince people about me and Tom and everybody. I mean, you and Tom are supposed to play longtime best mm-hmm. friends and all mm-hmm. that. You guys had not met Mm-mm. before. Was there anything done to cultivate that? Did you have some rehearsal time? Tom called me on the phone, and we talked for literally about five hours, and we didn't stop talking because he's hilarious. <laughs> he's an amazing guy. So that started it. And then Alexander likes to sort of have a period of rehearsal and hangout time, mm-hmm. which we also did on the, the holdovers. Yes. So, you know, a couple of weeks, two, three weeks, a long time, actually, to sort of settle into the place you're going to shoot in and get to know people. And so, yeah, Tom and I hang out a lot before we even started. Once you once you actually got going on that one, and again, after the fact you said this, but I think it's interesting to just go back to that moment. You said uh, about the adjustment from playing supporting, primarily supporting parts, to playing the central part in the movie here Mm -hmm. you said quote particularly in sideways where i was in every scene of the movie i had to realize i could relax and spread it out more i was Mm -hmm. approaching it like i had to pack too much into every moment and scene the way you Mm -hmm. would as a supporting guy Mm -hmm. because you have a smaller space to work in that's very true and like i said it's just a different pathology and i don't know if i have that leading man psychology close quote Mm -hmm. how long did it take for you on that one to feel good about what you were doing that it was coming together nicely i mean did you <laughs> we were pretty convinced we were going to get fired for really? a while yeah we both were like this can't possibly pan out <laughs> like this um you know i i i don't know that i could really felt like i could relax the i just was so i was just so wanted to do the best possible job i could mm-hmm. for that guy i was just vigilant the whole time man i didn't let my guard down i worked really hard and but it is a different thing you know i mean there are ways in which you can sort of not relax but you can let things you can let things flow a little bit more playing a lead it's still something that's taken me a while to, to figure out mm-hmm. it's very different mm. There's one particular scene that I had to ask Alexander about, and I've got to ask you about, and I'm sure you can, I imagine you could probably guess which scene if there's mm. one. No. Mm. This, what the New York Times, I think, called a mini masterpiece, which mm-hmm. is where you you and Virginia Madsen are sitting there mm. talking about yeah. wine, but sure. basically talking about yourselves. Sure. Take me into your mindset. I mean, it's almost like monologue and then a monologue. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, anyway, just for no, you. Like, what is it? Like a duet? A or duet, something. yeah. yeah Aria. It's or so beautiful. Like did you know in the. Did you feel that in the moment? I sure did. I mean, I sure did watching her. I felt it very much so. It's a great scene because, you know, he's un- unaware of what they're talking about, but she's perfectly aware of right. what they're talking about. Right. So it's lovely. And, and it was a really. I remember. I remember everything about shooting that movie, but I remember that scene very well because. You know, Alexander creates these very lovely, intimate sets, and it was nighttime, and we were out in this house, in the, out in the woods, and it was just really mellow, and everybody was hanging out, and it was like, it just felt so relaxed, and she was so great. Yeah. 
in that scene. So it, you could tell that it was a really nice scene. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So when this movie comes out, I think, was it originally at. Uh, Telluride or Toronto or Toronto, Toronto. I think. Yeah. Um, from then on I mean critics loved it yeah. it made it way more than people were projecting <laughs> yeah. commercially people were interested in a wine movie exactly, right exactly. Was like, okay um, you know all kinds of uh, recognition this time of year during the yeah. season yeah. I think I'm still pissed off 20 years later that you know they didn't get it right with you but sorry. I, yeah. uh, but just if you're, I asked you how things had changed after American Splendor. I would imagine mm-hmm. that this yeah. was like a exponentially different, yeah. right? I never have. I've never had to audition again. That's awesome, and that's crazy. I mean, it's crazy. Sometimes I miss it. I do. <laughs> yeah, actually. really. Sometimes I do. Yeah. Sometimes I wish. Sometimes I think it's a necessary good thing. But my God, I never had to audition again, and it's like you know, it's huge. Yeah. It changed everything for me. And so, was the first one to kind of directly come out of that? Would that be Cinderella Man? Yes. So this one is comes out the year after Sideways. So you've had in three years American Splendor, then Sideways, then Cinderella Man, which mm-hmm. is pretty unbelievable. This is Joe Gould, the trainer for James Braddock during mm-hmm. the Depression for Ron Howard. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder, you know, okay, so do you go into that? In this case, yes, it's a, it's a vehicle for Russell mm-hmm. Crowe primarily, but mm-hmm. did you have a little bit more – I don't. You've never said that you were like lacking in confidence before, but do you feel a little <laughs> bit more knowing that people uh, have kind of seen what you can do? A bit you, more, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and a little bit more, sort of. Yeah, I, I think so. I had certainly, and certainly feeling like going back to approaching a really nice supporting thing like that. I think I felt kind of a bit more, yeah, yeah, a bit more steady on my legs, yeah. Anything else stand out to you about that one? When you no, that movie was amazing to make. I mean, the boxing stuff was the actual boxing stuff in the ring, which was a huge part of that movie, was just astonishing. Mm-hmm. And I got to hang out with um, Angela Dundee, who was one of the greatest boxing trainers in the history of the sport. He played a corner man in it. And I just, I mean, the boxing stuff was great. The period thing, I'm a sucker for period yeah. stuff. Russell was great. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it was, it was a trip, that whole thing. It was great. And then I guess you find out that M. Night Shyamalan has uh-huh. written a part, I think, for... Did he? For, I think so. I guess. I don't know. And I this know is, he wanted me to do it. It's basically yeah. a fairy tale he's telling his kids <laughs> about 
I mean, this is a dark fairy. I don't know how old his kids were, but a doctor. <laughs> they were little kids. Right? Yeah. So, hey, kids, a doctor becomes an apartment building superintendent after his wife and children are murdered, <laughs> and now he tries to save a water nymph. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I mean, he when he makes, especially then and still, but when he makes a movie, it's an event. And yes. that was one where people were anticipating yes. for months. Yes. For you, uh it's a it's a different genre maybe than you'd worked in much before. Yeah, I hadn't done a whole lot of stuff like that. I mean, yes, I hadn't done a sort of fantasy thing like that. I suppose the Planet of the Apes was the closest right, thing right. to that I'd done. I'd done a lot of action movies and stuff, but I hadn't done anything like that. And no. was it was it a, a it was a, a great one? it was a yeah. great experience. Yeah. That guy really knows how to like throw a party. Basically, <laughs> he's a very good host of, right. of the thing. And that movie is. Wacky. Yes. <laughs> it's a, and I, there's ways in which I just have so much respect for that movie because it is just, it's a nutty way to tell a story. Totally. And it's a nutty story. And it's a really interesting, weird movie. And it's got its following, which I oh, like. Yeah. There's people who really love it. And that was the same year, by the way, that you were also in The Illusionist. Jesus as the Christ, was it really? And maybe you, it's conceivable you made them in different years and they just came out at the same time. I don't time, but know. It is crazy as you're saying this. Yeah. I'm like, Jesus, man. You've been going hard. Yeah. Yeah. The Illusionist is one of my favorite Tell movies. me why. I, I don't disagree, of course. Um, but I love scared. that movie because yeah. I just think I am, a, again, it's a childhood thing like Planet of the Apes. I'm a big, big fan since I'm a kid of sort of Sherlock Holmes gaslit sort right. of era sort of horses and carriages and detectives with pipes and you know that kind uh, of like and, and that sort of dark weird 19th century right. Europe sort of thing so I was like this is just everything <laughs> I want to I, I could have played that part for the rest of my life and I'd be happy that's great um, and back with your college and Edward, yeah, yeah and Edward was there and that was great too yeah <laughs> yeah um, okay so you did something that I don't think you had done before in 2008, and that is a limited series mm -hmm. where you're the principal guy in yeah. it with John Adams. Yeah. Um, this is Tom Hooper before people saw the King's Speech and mm -hmm. Les Mis and everything else. So, yeah. um, But you went, I guess, wonder how it's broached you, but also why you were kind of skeptical that people would want to spend yeah, hours and hours with this guy. I was. I mean, the script was enormous. I got yeah. the script and it was gigantic. It was the whole thing was written out. And, you know, I was like, he's a, he's kind of a nightmare, actually, <laughs> in a lot of ways. And I just was like, are you really going to make this nine-hour thing? Like, I was a bit of a nightmare. Yeah. And if you're asking me to do it, that's amazing. I'm going to play him as a kind of a nightmare because yeah. I was like, that's interesting. Yeah. I don't want to do the sort of cozy, warm and cozy American Revolution thing. And I want to do 1776. I'm going to right. play the guy because he sounds like a nutcase. Right. And he was kind of a nutcase. Well, would you say, I mean, like, the, just to remind people, he, uh, you know, I guess was just a pain in the ass. Some people think he would have been if there had been this diagnosis, like manic depressive. Probably, right? yeah. yeah. No, I think so. I think so. He definitely had major, major manic phases, and then he would get very depressed. And he was a hypochondriac. And he, I mean, Benjamin Franklin thought he was flat out crazy. <laughs> And, but um, he had to be to do what yeah. he did, too. But he was a man with enormous integrity. He was a terrible politician. He had so much integrity. Right. You know, he was an amazing guy, but he was a real, I mean, they all were. They were all very strange yeah. kind of crazy guys. Jefferson right. was weird. <laughs> I mean, very weird guys. Right. Yeah. And then the whole, to to add to the weirdness, the, the whole uh, 
deathbed uh, chronology. Which of it I didn't. All, right? When I read the script, I yeah. thought. This is stupid, guys. You can't do this. Right. You can't have. And I was like, Oh my god, they it really, really did die on the same day, <laughs> and they didn't know the other one had died. I guess, I think um, Jefferson died before Adams, and he didn't. I mean, of course, he didn't know yeah, it. Yeah. There was no way to know it. Now, for you, a hundred and six of the hundred eight days that this thing was shot, you were working pretty uh, much. I had a day and a half off the whole thing. Did you enjoy long form TV? Uh, yeah, I mean that was it was crazy. That thing was crazy, and it was the sheer amount of what I had to do was what was daunting about it. It was just bananas, mm -hmm. and the days were endless. And I was, you know, it was nuts. Yeah, I did enjoy it. It was an immersive thing. It was a kind of, it was one of these kinds of immersive, almost methody things by default. I just was constantly in the character. Mm. To the extent that my wife at the time said I, I woke up one weekend I, in my sleep. I was waking her up, and I kept saying, who's going to be Secretary of State? <laughs> and, I, and she was like, what the fuck? What? It was one of those things where I just was – It was con I was constantly in it. Wow. So, you know, it never went away. And we'll just note this was ended up being the most viewed HBO limited series in four years. You win Emmy, Golden Globe, and SAG Award. Mm. Um, just kind of an amazing thing. And, again, it's it's – just the variety of stuff because you go from that and uh, uh, next year we've got The Last Station mm -hmm. where you're Tolstoy's secretary. This is I'm a sucker for period stuff. Yeah, if seems... anybody offers me a period thing, I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. I love it. Do you think that traces back to you were just always a history buff? I'm a history thing and it also really feels like you're like, I'm acting. We're in a movie yeah, now because yeah. it's like, this is cool. There's horses. There's like, you know, it, it just feels really different. Another one, which I, I remember seeing at the Toronto Film Festival where I think it premiered, and I was like, this is a wacky movie, but it was very, you were you were great, is Barney's version. Mm. This is... It's an odd movie. It's, it's just, let, we'll just... It's a throwback of a movie, too. Totally. I mean, yeah, so... It's an interesting, weird movie. Richard J. Lewis is the director. You're playing Barney Panofsky, three times married producer of TV, reflecting on his... Very roller coaster of a life. Yeah. From a, a Mordecai Rickler novel. Dustin Hoffman's your dad. You've got these three wives. Mm. Uh, most recent one being Rosamund Pike. Rosamund Pike. You're yeah. aging backwards, forwards over yeah. three decades. Just um, when you read something like that or they came to you or whatever, that on the one hand, it must be exciting. On the other hand, that's a, that's a lot of work. It was. I mean, it was not as much work as, as John Adams, yeah. but it was a lot of work. No. And it was, but it was a really wacky thing. It was an Italian Canadian co-production. Those don't come <laughs> no. along a whole lot. And I was like, okay, we're going to go shoot in Rome and stuff, which right. seemed exciting. But it also, it was a throwback to it. It's interesting in light of the holdovers. It, yeah. It was a kind of throwback to a kind of 70s sort of movie. Yep. You know, all those kinds of like, what is that, Bloom and Love, that thing with George Siegel and yep. sort of those those kinds of movies and Daddy Kravitz and yes. all those, literally those movies too. And so it was an interesting throwback to something. So sure, I, I could see like cool. it would have been a Richard Dreyfuss uh, decades well, I mean, earlier. Anyway, well, he did the yeah. other right. Mordecai Rickler thing, right. which was Daddy Kravitz. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it was that kind of movie. Right. And Golden Globe for you, which is yeah, nice. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, okay, so this one, this next one, forgive me, I'm doing, this is your life, but you've done no, a lot I of good stuff. This is, I haven't <laughs> thought about a lot of these things in a long time. I think this <clears> one was was great, and it brings you back with another one of your Yale classmates, McCarthy, for win-win. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I don't, it's a tough one to summarize, <clears> but basically, your guy, Mike Flaherty. That's true, it is Struggling lawyer. Who part-time high school wrestling coach convinces a judge <laughs> that he 
to make the make an elderly client of his who's got dementia to make him the guardian of that yeah, guy. Yeah, it's a conservatorship. A conservatorship, yeah, right? Yeah, of an old guy. And yeah. then puts the guy in a nursing home. And then he home. starts, yeah, he starts taking the money. <laughs> taking well, because the money. he needs the money, so he, yeah, right. he does something crooked. He's not, he's not a, he's not a guy who usually does this kind of thing. No. But things are so desperate with his family that he figures he'll. This is a way to get some money. And then that guy's grandkid shows up, who's a wrestler, who happens to be a wrestler. And, and, so, and so I put him in the team. <laughs> and as you're right, it's a very hard one to summarize, but it's a really lovely movie. Totally, yeah, it was great. And Tom was an awesome director. And is it true that, and you know, I imagine this might have been relevant that both the writer, Tom, and yourself had all actually been wrestlers? I did it briefly. Tom did it more than I did. I did it briefly for one semester, for part of a semester when I was in high school. And I was like, this is a mistake. <laughs> it was like, Jesus Christ, this is awful. So I didn't do it again. But Tom did it, yeah. Now, the fact that, as you say, Tom had been an actor before primarily, mm. I think he might still occasionally. Yeah, he does but, occasionally, yeah. Uh, and good people actor. remember him from The Wire, maybe, Great and other actor. stuff. Really good actor. Um, have you found that a, a actor turned director works differently with you? Yeah, I mean, I think it makes a big difference. You know, they just get it, you know. And and Tom was like that. I worked with George Clooney, directed yes. this thing. And, you know, they just one thing they one thing an actor does is he anticipates the problems you're going to have. It'll be like, oh, we don't want you to have to work with this cigarette lighter because right. it's not going to work. You know, the little stupid right. things that'll drive you crazy as an actor. He, they already know it. Oh my god! You know what I mean? And it's like so they get it, and so it's it's a huge makes a huge difference. Yeah. And the one with Clooney that you referred to was also that same year, 2011. This wow. is the Ides of March. You're mm-hmm. playing the head of the campaign that's opposing. Clooney's campaign, yeah. which is being run by Philip Seymour Hoffman That's right. and Ryan, Ryan Gosling. Gosling yeah. I mean, it just seems like a, that would have been an interesting set. That was great. Set. That was a really fun, that was a great, fun movie. Yeah, yeah. it was awesome. He was a great director. And, and did you and Philip Seymour Hoffman ever get to spend much time together? Because it just seems like a you A little two. bit on that. And I'd known him for a long you time. Have. I didn't know him well, but I yeah. knew him for a long time. And because of that movie, yeah. when we promoted it, I got to spend a lot more time with him. And that was great because he was a great guy. And I imagine, you know... Maybe you guys could somewhat relate to each other in the sense that For you've sure. been these supporting actors who definitely, got but shot. also he and I coming up. One of the reasons I knew him is we went in for the same things a lot. Really, and it would kind of get passed back and forth because he went in for the guy in Private Parts too. Oh, and then but and then he would get a thing or I would get a yeah. thing, and then he really took off in a way because he was a f- brilliant fucking actor. Yeah. So it's like, but we knew each other because of that. In some ways, back to HBO for Too Big to Fail. This time it's a movie. Uh, Bernanke, mm. uh, three years God. after the uh, yeah. crash of the economy. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, you know, now when we think about billions, it's just like it's yeah. weird to see you in that in that role <laughs> in that true. era. But yeah, uh, just. Um, SAG award-winning performance. Anything you want to say about that one? No, I got to spend some time with Bernanke, which was really, really exciting. Yeah, somebody said I can set up because people were going and hanging out with their with the people they were playing. And oh, William Hurt was hanging out with Hank Paulson, and wow. Crudup was hanging out with Timothy Geithner. And I said, I jokingly said, "Do you think I can meet Bernanke?" Somebody said we could arrange it, <laughs> and I was like, "Surely he has something better to do than have lunch with me." But no, I went and hung out with him. He was a very, very interesting guy. I thought, I'm going to see behind that mask wow. what this guy's really like. But it was very hard to see behind the mask. It was He's a pretty implacable mask wow. he had on. Yeah, Amazing. Well, 2013, we've got both Saving Mr. Banks, Rob Marshall, 
you're the the chauffeur in there, and then twelve years a slave. Oh so you go God. from being the yeah. sweet guy, lighthearted, yeah, to, yeah. The, to the sadistic, yeah, sick, really horrible. racist oh uh, slave trader. That's so funny. I don't even remember that these things are right after each other. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, in particular, I have to ask about Twelve Years a Slave. This mm-hmm. is a movie that wins the Best Picture Oscar. It's mm-hmm. a whole bunch of other things, and uh, you know, I think it's going to be talked about for a long time it's to an amazing come. Amazing movie. What anything that you know from your interactions with McQueen, or I think I'm trying to remember who you share your scenes with. There was it Fassbender in that one? Uh, no, I I had the scenes with a lot of extras is what uh-huh. I had, yeah. and it was like I was, it was a slave market basically. Yeah. And Chiwetel was was yes. in the scenes that I did, but I had these kind of crazy set pieces with. Um, a slave market, yeah. basically. So I had to work with a group of remarkable extras yeah. who allowed me to do really awful things yeah. to them. And so it was, um, that script too was one of the most amazing scripts I've ever read. John Ridley wrote that, yes. who I know too, and it was an amazing script. Is there, obviously, you know, anyone with a half a brain understands you're playing uh, yes. somebody yes. as opposed to being, but is it still uh, difficult yeah. to be an actor Terrible. Yeah, I mean, the stuff I did, I mean, I was really kind of smacking people around and stuff, you know. So it was like, but these people were remarkable. I mean, the extras were, they found a group of people who were incredible actors and willing to do really intense Mm -hmm. crap, obviously the most intense stuff. So it was pretty amazing, yeah. Another dual year where it just happens that both of the guys you played are sort of sick weirdos who yeah. are uh, who are involved with screwing their clients yeah. in the music world. Yeah. We have both uh, Love and Mercy in 2015 with uh, Dr. Eugene Landy, who's oh screwing God, Brian right. Wilson. Yes. Oh my God, you said the name of that, and I was like, what movie is yeah. that? And I was like, oh, right. <laughs> and then the other one that year, yeah. Jerry Heller, the weasel <laughs> yeah. manager of NWA Jesus. in Straight Outta Compton. That's it's, right. They were starting that was the same year? Same year, 2015. God almighty. <laughs> I didn't even remember. You could have just uh, Dude, changed your uh, wig and go to... Uh, kind something. of, kind of. Well, I don't know, they were different kinds of horrible right. things. You know, they were, they were Different, uniquely kinds of horrible guys. And for to lighten it up that year, that year was also <laughs> your uh, Twelve Years a Slave parody for Amy Schumer, where you're the Ed Begley guy, and you got an Emmy nomination. Twelve, for twelve Angry Men. Oh, Jesus, oh my God! I was like, boy, we, we, I was like, did we do a Twelve Years a Slave parody? I hope we didn't. I oh was my like, God! That, yeah. been, that, that, that can't have aged. That would well. have been canceled. No, it was it was uh, Twelve Angry Men. Yes, I played the Ed Begley guy, and I always regret I didn't blow my nose enough. And I wasn't working the tissue paper thing because he's constantly blowing his nose That's in the right. movie. And I did it, but it was also just how they edited it. I was like, damn, I was doing all this funny, gaggy stuff of blowing my nose and it's not in it enough. But that was really fun. It's hilarious. To make. That was great to make. We are almost up to the present, but <laughs> okay. I have to, you, you, uh, we, we should mention one of your, I think, just most amazing performances and movies, Private Life. This is. Oh, that's a nice movie. You for Tamara Jenkins and uh, opposite Catherine Hahn. You're playing, she, you and she are a, a couple who are trying to have a kid. Mm-hmm struggling with that and then mm-hmm. a uh, younger relative comes to stay with them and <laughs> she's got grace to she's be there to be, right yeah, um, to carry the kid but yeah. you and i don't know i mean there's something i don't know if it's the way that 
uh, Tamara works with actors, or you and Catherine are Catherine so great. But just that's a great take movie. me into that. It's that's a great That's a really movie. great movie. It's a it's a really criminally underseen yeah. movie. It's because she's great in that mm-hmm. movie, and it's a really now talk about a script that was just so on point and perfect, mm. and you didn't have to do anything, but just play it, let it play itself, and. It's an it's a it's an amazing movie, and it is about a tough subject. But I remembered saying to her, one of the cool things is it reminded me of Waiting for Godot, that movie, because mm-hmm. it's like these people are waiting for this thing that they think is going to transform their lives, and will it will it ever happen? And if it does happen, will it actually right. make their lives? It's just it's such a great movie, and in a way it's they have their movie. kid with Kaylee. They have it anyway, kid, yeah. yeah, and it's all about. Being middle aged and feeling right. uncreative and un, any kind of creativity and generative thing is gone. It's you're losing it. So you gotta have a kid because you, your career's sort of gone. Right. And then the young woman's there. It's just such a good movie. One of my favorite details about that is your character had been a theater director and is yeah. now a pickle salesman. He's an artisanal pickle guy. <laughs> yeah, pickles. no, it's classic. <laughs> he runs an artisanal pickle company, but it's so classic. Totally. It's like a certain kind of New Yorker who's like you know. It's really she captures it really well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. So for the last seven years, a big part of your life yeah. has been television on Showtime doing Billions, mm-hmm. which is a show that from the very first episode of the pilot mm. uh, hooks you. This is going to be not your. This is not like any other uh, show you've seen. Mm-hmm. We we your guy that you're playing Chuck <laughs> Rhodes, sort of uh, uh, this this U.S. attorney who's very anxious to to get mm-hmm. uh, a hedge fund billionaire who's definitely shady. This mm-hmm. is the Damian Lewis mm-hmm. character, and your guy though, like I, who someone Equally who I think shady. was a model, was a shady guy. But you know, yeah. so Spitzer esque people. A little upset. bit, sure, a little bit of that. Yeah. When you okay, so when the idea comes to you, Paul Giamatti, do you want to do series television mm-hmm. as a lead, but series television for the first time? Ever, I guess, where it's yeah, a consistent. No, never, yeah. yeah, no, I'd never done anything like that. Was that a tough decision? <clears throat> it was a bit of one. I mean, I sort of was. I was a little bit unsure, you know. But it, it, it seemed like a good thing because also it was in New York. I mean, I have to say there were there were pragmatic things yeah. about it too. It was in New York, and I was going to make money. Yeah. And my kid was just becoming sort of a teenager, yeah. so I was going to be around for my kid. And I thought, oh, this is not a bad thing. Maybe no. I should. Maybe I should do this. And and I knew those two guys. I knew Koppelman and Levine. And yes. They're real characters. Yes. And I'd known them for they they produced The Illusionist. Oh. And so I'd known them for a long time and they're good guys. And it was an interestingly written thing, you know. But you can't know what the hell's gonna happen. And I and people would say to me, just be sure and I'd be like, Because well, yeah, you're on the hook for like seven years. Well, right? I didn't know that. Right. Nobody knew that. Right. And I mean I don't think now I don't think anything would go seven years anymore. That's I think true. it's, it's an era that's changed. Right. I don't know that things go this long anymore. I don't think anybody expected it to go this long. I don't think they did. I don't think Showtime did. I don't think Koppelman Levine did. You know, I mean they they kept saying, Oh well, they're giving us another season, they're giving us another season and it just kept going. And for you in terms of just having a character for that long through yeah. so much, do you find that you know, it seems like each medium must be such a different yeah. challenge for you. In theater, you could do the the same run of show essentially hundreds yeah. of times. Yeah. Film, you're doing it all out of order and all. Yeah. TV, 
for being as being this guy evolving over that long period of time, do you have to do something to keep it fresh and interesting for yourself, or you just trust the writers? Yeah, you, well, I, I I think we were lucky in that those guys, the writing was very, very interesting in that. Yeah. You know, it wasn't the same sort of thing all the time. Although, you know, inevitably you fall into certain behavioral patterns. The writing was still very engaging. Yeah. So, you know, but it is like theater. You're, you're doing the same guy every yeah. every night, yeah. in a sense. But it's always a different play every yeah. day. So, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. It was um, the character was was it was a very strange character it was it was i enjoyed playing it but it was a kind of lonely part yeah yeah it was a lonely strange part he doesn't fit in anywhere except in his office and nobody he can't he's a misfit yeah oddly it's a very weird part interesting. yeah it was an interesting part and i love you know people talk about spitzer but you i think pretty aptly likened him more to javert Yes, From and that was kind of cool. Yeah. And it had that sort of like cat and mouse like yeah. thing, for, which was great. And he was like that. Yeah. He's yeah. this driven guy, and he's forgetting even like why he's doing what he's doing. He's just driven, you know. Interesting. Yeah. It's now we're coming up on 20 years since Sideways. Mm-hmm. And I know my understanding was that the movie Alexander wanted to do after Sideways was downsizing. Yes, he told me about downsizing while we were making Sideways. Okay. He said, I have this idea. He didn't tell me then he wanted me to do it, but he told me the idea, and I thought, what a great, simple, satirical idea. And he has said, though, that in his mind, yeah. he wanted you he to did. do that. He did. He did want me to do it, yeah. And then this gets delayed because it's tough to get financing for so, such big VFX and Yeah, it turned all into that. more of a VFX thing than I think he knew it was going to be. And so 19 years or so go by before you do in fact reunite and i wondered um for the holdovers what was your first inclination that this was out there because it's not unlike most alexander movies Mm. this is only the second one he didn't personally write Mm -hmm. it's one of very few that's not in omaha you were in one of the others of course Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but just like did he how did he tell you that this was out there he he i you know I, i don't totally remember but i remember him saying i I'm working on a script, and I want you to know now that I'm thinking of you to do this, and it's inspired by this old French movie about a guy with a weird eye who smells like fish, because <laughs> I think some of that was still in that movie, too. In that too. movie, yeah. In the French movie, and, and I thought, oh, that sounds kind of cool. <laughs> and he said, it's in, this, it's in this school, and you know those kinds of things, and I'll, I'll send it to you as we, as we work on it. And I said, okay, and... He sent it to me in different drafts, and every time I said, this is awesome. Yeah. This is great. When are we going to do it? And we tried to do it a bunch of times, planned to do and then it never would work out um, scheduling-wise because of billions. Right, yeah. right. And his stuff, too. Sure. And then he tried to do other things, too, and those those got screwed up because of scheduling stuff or whatever, too. So So your reference points are this old French movie. <laughs> yeah. There's... Uh, which I gather is kind of a like cr- classic in France. Oh, I need to go see. I it know, out. I, yeah. and I still have never seen it. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that one. There's sort of your own childhood experiences with, or youthful like you know Choate era mm-hmm. stuff. And then I wondered, was there anything else? Because I, you know, watching this, and I, I mean this in like the best way. Mm-hmm. It reminded me a little bit of the Paper Chase, where you've got. Yeah. You oh, know, absolutely. Are these things that you're thinking about? Sure. Any, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean there were a lot of things going into it, specific people and things like that that I was thinking about, and 
Uh, and then I'm on. Uh, then, then people I wasn't even aware. Of. I had a friend who said to me, "Oh my God, you were just like the head librarian at Choate." And I thought I wasn't even thinking of that yeah. guy, and I am like that guy. <laughs> but the paper chase was very much a thing, and I keep wanting to watch that again. It's so I didn't. Good. I bet it is because oh I loved God. that movie. And you know, when I was won the Oscar. For yeah, that. he was fantastic yeah, in that movie. So that kind of thing. And then you know, I knew the kind of movies Alexander was talking yeah. about. I know all those Hal Ashby things, and I love all that stuff too. And so. Uh, I knew. I knew the idea. And this idea that right from the opening logo at the beginning of the film through every detail, it's going to be very 70s. Yeah. How does that affect your life in terms of there's costume, there's other stuff? Does that help you to sure. get in that mindset? Period. Yeah. It's a period right. thing. Right. 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 It's weird to think I'm doing a period movie I was alive because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, period means horses, right. doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> period means like wigs. swords, right? right? Yeah, wigs. <laughs> I was like, period can't be when I was alive. Right. But so, no, but the period thing, as I say, is big, big charge to me. I love it. So it's like, it, it gets me really cool. excited to be living in a different yeah, era. Yeah, it's like, it's a time machine. Acting with a capital A. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's great. So, what's it like when the two people who, along with you, are essentially the, the three holdovers? The other two are, we've got Dominic Sessa, who's a mm -hmm. kid who I believe was essentially. Uh, in high school himself, had never acted before a camera mm -hmm. before. Yep. Uh, and Davine Joy Randolph, who had almost always played broadly comedic yeah. parts. Yep. So you guys show up to do this. Yep. Tell me about just working with, with them. It was awesome. I mean, no, he indeed, Dominic was a student at one of the schools we shot at. Oh, so wow. he had a dorm room still <laughs> in the school. So it was like, you know, and he was amazing. I thought he was a remarkable kid and a remarkable actor already, you know. And his newness to it, his freshness to it was really lovely to be around, mm. you know. And he didn't even, he didn't need a hell of a lot of help or mm -hmm. anything like that. He was just a good kid, too. And, and Devine, you're right. I mean, she had done... And in fact, I was just thinking the other day, the first day we had to shoot, she said to me, I, I, she was like, I don't, I don't do these things where you sit around and have a normal conversation. She was like, I, I don't do these things. And I was like, I think you'll be fine. Yeah. And she was very fine oh, yeah. with it. She's fantastic at it. But I do think it was a little bit like, I haven't done something like this in a, or maybe in a while or at all. And I don't you know, know what? Because like, she was always being stuck in these. In, it's very funny. Yeah, yeah. And she's a great improver and stuff like that. So it's like. It's interesting, though, how Alexander sort of somehow sees this yeah. in people because it's Will yes. Forte in Nebraska yes. or different. No, it was very interesting. because, it, But that's how smart he is. Yeah. And he picked exactly the right person to do it. So for you working with him again 19 years later, did you find that your ways of working were had changed, or was it pretty much the sideways all over again? No, I mean together, the two of yeah, us? Yeah, just the way you worked with each yeah, other. Yeah, no, right. it felt just, I mean, it was, e it was not easy, but there was ease the first time, and there was even more the second time, Yeah, you know? And he had, he, he, he's mellowed in some ways not that he wasn't ever but you know he's even more sort of in command and at ease and more sort of congenial and it was just you know it was even more of this kind of fun intimate thing because there were really only three of us yeah most of the time yeah what do you think as people discover this movie is it a or you tell people in your own life about this movie I've heard people call it a Christmas movie. Yeah. I mean, there's that it's... I think it is. I, yeah, no, I do. I think the Christmas thing is kind of important. Yeah. The holiday thing, it is kind of important because it's yeah. a movie about... It's about family yep. and it's about 
giving of yourself and it's about selflessness. Yes. And yeah. so that's a that's what Christmas is in theory supposed yeah. to be all about. With our last uh, few seconds here, can mm. we just do first thing that comes to your mind about a few <laughs> random okay. things? Okay, so if at Yale or somewhere else they were to teach a class on the work of Paul Giamatti. Okay. And they can only show one <laughs> film to kind of show what your work is, your film work has been about. We're going to take the holdovers off the table because that is the, they should, they'll show something else and the holdovers. What should that, what would you want that something Holy else to cow. be? You know, it's funny. I, if they're going to show the holdovers, right? Yeah. And then they're going to show yeah. something else. Um, Not necessarily in that order, but yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. Gosh, it might be. Honestly, I really love The Illusionist. I just mm. like that movie a lot. So maybe that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what's the line of dialogue that's most often shouted back at you? Uh, that's uh, the Merlot line, <laughs> the, the Merlot thing, or something about Merlot. Right, yeah, right. Pretty much, yeah. Which, by the way, <laughs> supposedly actually had no, a it did, dent it did, in, did tank it. No, no, it, did, it, it actually did tank the industry for a little while. Now, only now, I believe, is it recovering. Would you yourself drink some Merlot? Sure. I don't know the difference. I wouldn't know what you're giving me. They all taste the same to me. I'm a complete cretin about wine. Oh, like, my I know nothing about it. This is a very random one, uh -huh. but baseball. Mm -hmm. Should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? Oh, that I'm not going to answer. You don't do that? Okay. I'm going to avoid okay. that Okay, one. fair enough. Fair enough. One. Yeah, I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. Now, you mentioned that there was that specific difficult event that led you to acting. Mm -hmm. If that had not happened, what would you be doing with your life today? That's a really interesting question, and that's why I say that when I say that. It's like I, I have a feeling I would have probably come around to this, yeah. but it might not have been so clear to me, I right. think. Yeah. Can't thank you enough. Thank you for thank your, you, taking man. the time. Yeah, this really, really I appreciate it. Thanks, Absolutely. man. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate it and would really appreciate you taking just a minute more to subscribe to the podcast and to leave us a rating and review on your podcast app. And to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, where our handle is at Awards Chatter. On those platforms, we announce upcoming guests and provide details about special live recordings of the podcast that you can attend. Until next time, thanks again for tuning in. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.